Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. Well, Jordan, we just got done with our event last week with Dr. Peter Kraft and Dr. Ivana Nicola Hughes, and uh, it was a pretty fun event. I'm wondering what what you thought. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, What stood out to me, I loved the dialogue between them when uh, the moderated discussion. I feel like we had a lot of great questions from those who came, Um, and I, I feel like they both presented obviously very different points of view on the question, do humans have value? Um, but very thoughtful points of view. I think people left thinking, talking about it, questioning, uh, which is definitely one of the goals of, of doing an event like that. So, Yeah, and if you weren't able to make it, the topic was on do humans have value? And of course, uh, Dr. Hughes from Columbia University spoke from uh, being an atheist chemist, and Dr. Crave spoke from the perspective of a Christian philosopher. And of, co- of course, they approached this topic from very different academic disciplines, uh, but it was just very interesting to hear how they would think about that question, why mm-hmm. do humans have value? And uh, there was a great attendance. Uh, it, was just a, it was just a fun event. If you didn't, if you weren't able to come to the event... Just so you know, the audio, the video is going to be published on the thompsoninstitute.org here in the coming weeks. Our next guest on the Walk podcast is Dr. Irene Hatsu. Dr. Hatsu is a professor and a researcher at Ohio State in the field of human nutrition, having received her Ph.D. from Florida International University. Growing up in Ghana and West Africa, Dr. Hatsu's journey to being a professor at OSU is far from typical. Her experiences seeing impoverished children in orphanages in Ghana set her on a journey, not to climb the academic ladder for her own sake, but to use her intellectual giftedness to benefit those in need. A colleague in her department had this to say about her. Dr. Hatsu radiates a strength that gives comfort and confidence to all who have the privilege of operating under her leadership. She helps others to achieve their goals while humbly dismissing any credit she might receive for the vital role she plays. Most of all, she cares for those she works with on all levels, academically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. In part one of our interview with Dr. Hatsu, we ask about her work in human nutrition what inspires her to do what she does. And we ask about her journey of faith in Christ. Well, Dr. Hatsu, thank you so much for joining us on the Walk podcast. And uh, as we will do, I think with a lot of the faculty that we interview in the coming months, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So could you explain a little bit about who you are, your position on the campus, sort of the research that you do as a professor at OSU? So, um, well, thanks for the opportunity uh, to start with. And um, I am an assistant professor um, here at OSU um, with the human nutrition program, which is housed in human sciences. It's like a long chain of um, 
units, um, but it used to be, human nutrition used to be a department by itself, but we merged with other departments, namely kinesiology, human development and family science and consumer science. And so mm. now all of us together are called human sciences. Mm. And we are within the College of Education and Human Ecology. At the same time, I do have a split appointment with mm. the College of Ag. Huh. And in that position, I serve as a state specialist for food security for the state of Ohio. So the extension state specialist. And my job there is to look at the effects of food insecurity and the implication for health um, with respect to the, um, the Ohio population, Ohioans. Mm. Um, and that has been necessary because Ohio has increasingly been um, one of the food insecure states. So the states that have a lot of people being food insecure, um, we're getting better um, yeah. on thinking that we are an ag state that we would have better food access um, for Ohioans, but that is not, that has not been the case. So my job as a food insecurity or food security state specialist is to do research that informs what you um, this extension educators are doing on the ground, helping people deal with their food access issues. Mm. With respect to my um, academic um, position in human nutrition, I basically teach like every most faculty do. And I also do research. And my research looks at the relationship between food um, nutrition security and physical and mental health, but more so mental health effects in vulnerable populations. Mm. And since being here, I focused on homeless kids. I call, uh, they are called unaccompanied homeless youth. These are youth between ages, well, we have mostly around 16 to 18 years old, but we have some that are 12 all the way through 24 who mm. do not have parental guidance or do not live with any um, adult and live by themselves and trying to find how to give them better health and quality of life uh, and to help them deal with their health challenges, majority of whom we think is associated with nutrition. However, there are no nutritional interventions in this population. Um, people don't tend to focus on them as a population to study. Number one, mm. they are difficult to reach. And mm. number two, they are so transient that they, can, they do not stay in one place mm. for you to focus on and study as a group. Mm. What does it mean to be food insecure? So food, being food insecure means you do not have availability to food okay. or access. If you have availability, it is difficult to access food um, that you think is nutritious in the first place and culturally acceptable for you to be able to eat and maintain a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so if people get nervous about whether they'll have enough to eat at the end of the month, mm. although they've not made changes to their food, they are the beginning stages of being food insecure. If someone has to change the types of food they eat. So for instance, if someone used to eat whole wheat bread or brown rice and fruits and vegetables, and they have to move away from that and be eating white rice or cheaper food, basically, uh -huh. um, that they started making changes to their food, then they're actually food insecure. And when they mm. start skipping meals and start going hungry, then they are the very top of okay. being severely food insecure. Okay. 
and those have implications for a lot of chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. So imagine that someone has diabetes and everything that you eat is related to the management of diabetes. And usually they will tell you eat this much carbs um, for each meal. But what if you didn't have the money and all you mm-hmm. can eat is a supersized McDonald's too at lunch and that's it? Mm-hmm. Um, or a bunch of a bag of chips, and which people do when they do not have um, access to healthy food, mm. um, then that can affect the way they're able to manage their diseases. Um, I've also been working with cancer patients, looking at how food insecurity affects the ability to manage their disease, mm. um, and that is a paper or re- study that we are rounding up and actually trying to put our findings out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to do this? I mean, when you started your academic journey, did you see yourself doing exactly the type of work that you're doing now? I mean, how did you arrive at what you're doing now? So when I started my academic journey, being like, um, I wouldn't generalize and say an African child, but having been born and raised in Ghana, I came from an environment where your parents looked at your gifts and decided what you were going to do. Mm. And so I grew up in an environment where everybody was an engineer or an architect or a pharmacist or a doctor, something like that. And so it was already pegged out that I was going to be an engineer. So I went to my undergrad as an engineering, um, with an engineering major. But within the first year, I knew that I hated it. <laughs> um, as, as a lot of first-year engineering students would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went back to my dad and I said, I do not like this. Um, and I do not want to do it. And it was a little bit of a back and forth because they, are, they, are, they want paying your tuition and they really want you to stick to a particular area. But my, uh, he's, we went back and forth. We talked to a couple of my professors and they said, well... You, if you don't like the math, you can do biology and to see how that works. So I went from engineering to pre-med. Mm. And then I had to dissect stuff. <laughs> and I decided I did not like that either. <laughs> I was passing out um, and I hated the smell. Um, like actually passing out? Oh, shoot. Oh. And, I, and so that was not a difficult sell for my dad. He was like, yeah, if you're going to go in there and be passing out, then no. Yeah. <laughs> So then, I, and, and he loves animals. Like, he would sit and watch National Geographic for hours. And so then I told him I was going to study animal physiology so I can be a zoologist. And, I mean, I'll be a zoologist with a specialty in animal physiology. And he was like, fine with that. So mm-hmm. I, I went in as an engineer. I graduated with a biology degree in zoology. Um, but then after, whilst doing my third year, I was introduced to nutrition and I actually um, volunteered at a, an orphanage. Okay. And I saw these kids had been real bad nutritional status and I didn't know what to do to help them. So that is what piqued my interest. But when I went back to my, to try and change my major to that, my dad pretty much told me that it's home economics and you are not getting a home economics degree. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with a zoology degree. But when I finished, I had an adopted family in the U.S. that I would visit mm. um, every summer. And so my adopted dad 
and adopted in quotes because we're just really good family friends with my parents in the U.S. when I was here. Okay. Asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, what I really want to do is nutrition. But my dad said it's home economics, so I'm going to do MBA. He was like, no, if it's nutrition is what you want to do, then that's what we're going to support you to do. So that is how I ended mm. up in nutrition at the University of Georgia. Okay. Hmm. Pursuing a nutrition degree. That's how it started. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. You already went into a little bit of, of your background. We're curious to know, too, on the spiritual side of things, like what your spiritual journey has looked like mm-hmm. uh, thus far, how you came to faith in Christ, if there have been any like stumbling blocks along the way uh, for you in that. So, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, so I was exposed to um, Christians from an early age on. Although my dad was not, he went to church occasionally. However, on Sundays, you did not have an excuse to stay at home. He would drive you to church and drop you off. Oh. Hmm. Um, and we always went with my mom because my mom went to church. And so... Suffice to say, my mom was, I don't want to say the spiritual head of the home, but technically she played that role. Mm. Um, So I grew up in a Christian home in that way. But I didn't really dedicate my life to Christ until I was in high school, my freshman year of high school. And I will say it was the Lord's doing because I danced quite a bit. (laughs) Um, And so I was in like a studio type of place trying to... Um, come up with dance moves for an uh, entertainment night. And in my high school, we did have a uh, scripture union. That's what we called it. So it was a student group. Pretty much we met on Sunday mornings and worshipped, had like church. We had Bible study, different Bible study within different classrooms. And that was just how it was set up in in boarding schools because they were boarding schools. So boarding schools in Ghana would tend to have that. And so my scripture union um, leader came into the studio, called me out and said, this is not where God wants you. And pretty much just... Um, Open up his heart to me and how he felt the Lord had been leading me to talk, uh, leading him to talk to me about my life and how it was going downhill with what I was getting myself involved in, even though I was a Christian, in quotes. And so that really touched my heart. And so I abandoned my group, which they were not too happy about. (laughs) This is your dance group? My dance group. Um, And so I was going to get punished by the entertainment prefect. We, I mean, we had, that's what we call them. We had leaders and mm-hmm. we called them prefects. So the yeah. entertainment prefect was going to get me punished. But the scripture union leader also happens to be the school president. So then I didn't get punished um, mm-hmm. for working out of my dance group. Um, and so I got involved um, with the scripture union, was mentored um, then. And so then I started growing gradually and... When I went to college, I just continued in that path where I had a group of, um, like a youth group that I was always plugged in with, uh-huh. um, doing outreaches. And that's how I ended up in the orphanage in the first place. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, it was through that youth group that I was plugged in with. Well, Aaron, uh, 
Yeah, it was a great, great listen. Lots of awesome stuff to hear about uh, Dr. Hatsu's life and and journey, even spiritually. Um, what stood out to me, just even her passion for her research. Um, man, I, I think even the way she was talking about the unaccompanied uh, homeless youth, uh, those that are food insecure, uh, really stuck stuck out to me. Uh, I love that that's something she's passionate about and care about. We need more people uh, in the world like her. Yeah, it's I. I, it was one of those things listening to her talk that I thought, man, it's so great that someone is thinking to even do this. You know, it's obviously a need, but it's so easy to live life, especially uh, at a school like OSU, and be unaware of the, sure. the need for someone to even be doing the type of work that that Dr. Hatz is doing. So it's it's really cool to hear about that. I think what stood out to me listening to her talk was just hearing a little bit about her spiritual journey. You know, even on another continent in Africa to hear just some some uh, some things about her story that are very common for what I think people go through here maybe it's a universal human experience where maybe if you if you grow up in a church it, it's still possible to go through a season of life where you kind of get caught up in the wrong crowd doing the wrong things you come to that conclusion am I is life going the way I really want it to go and it, it's just cool to hear how this leader from the scripture union at her mm-hmm. school reached out to her. And for her, it seemed like that, that really, that spoke to her that maybe God was caring for her through uh, this leader in some way. And, and uh, I think that, that a lot of people have that sort of experience. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, be sure to check out part two of our interview with Dr. Hatsu as we ask her what it's like to be a Christian working as a scientist and we ask if there's been anything that has caused her to question her faith in Christ. Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org, a program of CREW at Ohio State.